Exodus chapter 14 is honestly one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible, uh, primarily because of the artistry and the movies that I've seen and the power of uh, God displayed before the people. So here we go. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of his best chariots along with all the other chariots of, his, um, of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened their heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pihahiroth, opposite Baal-Phethon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and they were... Uh, I lost my place on. <laughs> As the parents of Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and they were there, Egypt's, Egyptians, marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you'll never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. The Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so the, that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other side. Neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, the wall, with a wall of water on their right and on their left, the Egyptians pursued them, and all of Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last which of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, Let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and the chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak, the sea went back into its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea, not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, 
and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites, Israelites saw the might and hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Let's say our scriptural declaration together. Lord, we honor your word to us. May your truth become our heart's pursuit in our life's practice. For being here and being a part of today's worship service. We are studying in the Prince of Egypt, Moses, looking at the man and the myth. And we've been talking over the last couple of weeks about a few different things. We're kind of talking about the Exodus in more than just simply one single uh, message or even two. We're kind of spreading it out over three different messages having to do with the plagues and then the plague of the firstborn, which gives birth to Passover, and then today, kind of the conclusion of that. So we can see where we've been in these last few weeks. These are our first four that we talked about, the different things, including Moses, the Jewish boy who was the prince of Egypt, where we get our title. But then we talked about the burning bushes and second chances as God calls him to do something in his kingdom work. And then we move on to this week in the last couple of weeks, talking about the plagues, the Passover, and then today, the Red Sea and the second part of the Exodus. And so I want to share that with you today. And thank you, Paul. I appreciate you giving me kind of some insight because this is a pretty iconic passage of Scripture. It's pretty exciting to watch in your mind's eye the things that were happening at that time. Just when God is intervening, and by the way, let's not be you know, too confused about this. It's not just when God parts the Red Sea that he is intervening. He is intervening in a lot of different ways all throughout that passage of Scripture. And I encourage you to go back and look at Exodus chapter 13 and 14 and 15, which are all kind of connected to this leaving of Egypt, which gives us the full birth of the nation of Israel. So let's keep moving here as we look on these parts of the Passover. The very first Passover that we talked about last week became the highest annual festival for the Jews. It was the root of communion as Jesus came and said, you've heard it said, but now I say to you, and he said, these things that you are celebrating as you've eating the unleavened bread. I tell you that this is my body, which is broken for you. This is now my blood, which is shed for you. These things do in remembrance of me. He took the Passover roots that had been in existence for more than a thousand years and brought them to the disciples and to his people as we move forward. And we also see today the second part of the Exodus, which is the actual crossing of the Red Sea, when God intervenes in a miraculous way. So let's keep moving here in our next slide. And you've seen these things mentioned over the last two weeks, and now it's the third. Uh, last week, though, uh, I didn't have the spacing perfect, so you missed a few of these. But you know these are the plagues, and the Exodus began with the plagues. Jacob shared some things. I shared a little bit last week. And interestingly, as is very, it's a very cool thing, but I heard from Eric and he said, I don't know if you knew this or not. And I did not, but he said, every single one of those plagues coincided with a, a God with a little G that they worshiped in Egypt. And I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, they, they believed that the Nile river was a God. And so the very first plague was on the Nile river and it was turned to blood. It was almost as if God said, you think these are gods? I'm going to show you who the real God is. And then there were literally, if you go back and look at some of the artifacts for ancient Egypt, you will see that they had a God for frogs. <laughs> well, the frogs came on the land and were in every single person's home and everywhere they were. And every single one of these plagues took on the God with a little G by the God with the big G that said, I will show you what a real God can do, and I'm going to divide and show you the difference between the Egyptian households and the Israelite households so that you know that I am God and God alone. And so these are all happening. And then, of course, last week we talked about the plague of the firstborn, and it is by far the most difficult passage, you know, that you're going to probably deal with because it is a hard thing to think about the firstborn son being, you know, taken his life because of the sins of the fathers and those who are there that are in political power. But there were years and decades and even, you know, centuries of 
things that were happening against the Israelites and how they were enslaved. And so there was a price to be paid and God had asked them to let him go, let them go and go and worship him in the desert, but they simply would not. And so finally, the plague of the firstborn happens, Passover happens, and then we come to today, the exodus and the crossing of the Red Sea. And this is where the final nail in the coffin comes, where the Pharaoh who changes his mind once more, and if you were here last week, you know what I'm talking about. Pharaoh would constantly do this. And let's go to our next slide, if you don't mind. There there were an Egyptian culture of genocidal, oppressive slave drivers for 80 plus years who worshiped many gods, given chance after chance to comply with God and yet refused. And then God finally delivers justice, showing that he is the one true God. And this is so important to grasp. If you don't remember, these people were basically demanding that the firstborn son and the secondborn son and the thirdborn son, any son that was born, be thrown into the Nile River because they were afraid that they would become too powerful for them. And so these were not good people. These were people who were living off the backs of other people's work, not paying them for it, and then demanding that their children be sacrificed because of their own fear. And so God finally made the ledger balance and right in the things that he did to set his people free and punish those who were in Egypt. Let's keep moving. And we see here, um, I always think this is important. How many of you guys in here are map people? Any of y'all map people? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Do do y'all remember atlases before the cell phones? I mean, literally, yeah. The the atlases, they were only about this small. They can easily fit in your back pocket, right? Um, Yes, this is from Google Maps. And this is the modern Egypt that we see. And you can kind of see the, uh, going from the upper left here all the way down, um, this is Goshen where the Israelites were living in the nation of Egypt. And then you see the Gulf of Suez. How many of you ever heard of the Suez Canal before? Y'all have heard of that, right? See, this is real life stuff. This is a real life place and this is where it all happened. And uh, then you see, this is the Red Sea. And as you can kind of see the Red Sea, it, it comes up this direction and then splits into two different directions. One, the Gulf of Suez. One, the Gulf of Aquaba. And if you look closely, you can see that that area of uh, land in between is called the Sinai Peninsula. And then you see Israel there as the promised land. So that's where we're talking about. This is somewhere you could go and visit today and see all of these same features and these same physical places, but this is what is happening. Now, I want to show you kind of a superimposed map and uh, just something that I found on the internet, but I thought it would be helpful to you. This is the actual exodus, and you can see Goshen there where they leave, and they don't cross the first finger of the Red Sea. Do you guys understand the one body of water, but at the end, it kind of splits off into two forks? You guys understand Uh, We saw that. And you can only see these two forks here. But as you look, they left the land of Goshen and didn't cross the first finger of the Red Sea. But then instead they were in the Sinai Peninsula. And if you listen real close to the things that um, Paul was reading a moment ago, you'll hear that they were at Baal Zephon. And then they were camped over against the sea. Now, look at that on the map. You can see Baal Zephon kind of right there in the middle. And you can see that they were camped over against the sea. That's the Gulf of Aquaba over here on the right-hand side, the right-hand area. And that is most likely where the crossing of the Red Sea happened. And so I want to talk a little bit about that. And there will be some maps that we kind of keep up so you can get a sense of what's happening. So let's go to our next slide very quickly. And this is our big idea. And this is what was happening for the Israelites. And this is what I want to share with you that you can come away with and you can take as a lesson for yourself how this stuff that happened you know, thousands of years ago can actually make a difference in your own life. And the big idea is just this, rely on God in all your ways and remember him all your days. Hopefully you can remember that because it kind of rhymes. Rely on God in all your ways and remember him all of your days. Here's the point and here's the idea. When the Israelites were there and they were standing on the beach and they're looking across the ocean, it may as well have been an ocean, it was just the, the, the Red Sea and a kind of the... Uh, eastern side of that Red Sea, it may as well have been an ocean because there's no way they can get across it, not without God intervening. And then they turn and see that the Egyptians are coming, and it's clear that they're not coming to throw them a welcome to the neighborhood party, right? Okay. They're coming with bad intentions, 
with chariots, with war horses, with spears and swords and all of these things, they've reconsidered. They thought, hey, this is a good idea because all these plagues are afflicting us. But now that they're gone, we realize they did a lot of stuff for us. And they were helpful for us. And who's going to do the work? Because we don't want to do it. So we're just going to continue to bring these people back and have them continue to do the work for us the way that they used to always do. And as they do that decision, as they make that choice, the Israelites are standing on the beach knowing what's happening, realizing that they're either going to be killed or uh, captives once again and taken back to Egypt. They have themselves to rely on or God to rely on. And they already know how it's going to go if they rely on themselves. Are you guys with me? You all understand? Now, as God shows up, and we're going to talk about how God shows up, this is the change in every single way. Up to this point, there was just a small group of people and a number of tribes that followed God. But from this point forward, when the most powerful nation is brought to its knees in the face of one unseen God, they begin to talk about why they fear the Israelites and why they remember what he did and how the plagues came and then the crossing of the Red Sea happened and they remember for the rest of their lives and then the next generation, then the next generation and on and on down to today, there are still Jewish people who talk about the way that God provided miraculous deliverance for their people and gave birth to their nation. So they can rely on God in all their ways and they can remember him and what he has done for them already for all of their days. Would you guys say this with me? Ready on the count of three? Ready? One, two, three. Rely on God in all your ways and remember him all your days. That's what I hope you will take away and remember. And this one more thing to learn as we go to our next slide. Pharaoh's pattern was to say, hey, cool, I give in. Go worship God in the wilderness. But then once the plagues had been withdrawn, his pursuit of Israel was just one more time whenever he would change his mind and say, yeah, 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 yeah. Just take the plague away and I'll let you go and do what you've been called to do, what God has wanted you to do. But just one more time, he goes back on that pattern. Even the plague of the firstborn did not teach him to keep his promise. And let me just be real clear. Can I just be real clear? If Pharaoh doesn't pursue them and doesn't try to bring them back, then his army is not forever changed and his empire is not forever weakened. But it is because he chose one more time to follow the same pattern that he had always followed and saying, yes, do this, and then changing his mind and bringing it back, not to benefit anybody other than himself. And so this is our something to learn. This is just one more time that Pharaoh does his own pattern, but God finally says, enough. Now, I want to stop for just a second, and I want to pump the brakes, and I want to remind you of something. Now, I know you already know this, but if you have not really thought about this, I want you to do that with me for a moment. You and I, we always have a pattern. We do the same things like on a pretty regular basis. I'm not, I'm not talking about when I go to Gringo's, I order a certain thing. I'm talking about the patterns that we don't want to talk about, but we have certain patterns of the way that we act. Now, do you guys believe that true confession is good for the soul? I do. All right, so here we go. How many of you guys in here have a pattern? You know what I'm talking about, right? You know, you, you circle back. Like you make that mistake and then you circle right back and do it again. And then you say, I'm never going to do that again. And then you kind of go in the right direction. But then after a while, you take a little detour and suddenly you're back on the wrong path and you circle all the way back and you're like, man, I thought I said I would never do this again. And yet here I am. Can I get an amen? Is is it possible that I get an amen on that? All right. Well, just say amen for somebody who's sitting close to because like they have a pattern. You don't, I don't, but they do, right? Pray for them. Here's what we know, just like Pharaoh had a pattern, just like the Israelites have a pattern that you're going to see as we move forward, we all do the same things and make the same mistakes. But I want to point this out, and this is where I hit pause. Eventually, eventually, the consequences go way off the charts and very, very different. You see, what usually happens is is that We have this pattern and we think that we won't do it again, but then eventually we do and we do and we do and then some of the consequences start filtering in. 
And we're like, man, I've really got to get serious about changing this pattern. But we don't because we learn to live with the consequences. But I'm here to tell you that in the same way that the consequences got real serious, real fast for the Egyptians, it will get real serious, real fast for you if you constantly have this sinful pattern in your life that you keep and that you think it really won't matter and it really won't be a big deal that affects many people in my life, well, pump the brakes because the truth is is that it will. You probably have no idea where the consequences in your life will go if you just simply keep doing the same wrong things and thinking that it won't matter. And I want to just say something very, very quickly and I'm going to keep moving on. But there is an Old Testament prophet, and I'm, I'm thinking it's Amos, but I'm not positive. Um, he talks about how we sow the wind and we reap the whirlwind. Have you guys ever heard that all before? You heard that before? Where, I mean, th- this is great. It's a great line. It's, it's even in some Westerns where you talk about you sow the wind, you're going to reap the whirlwind. In other words, what you sow is a little and what you get back is that multiplied. And the truth of the matter is, is that We can choose our sin, but we can't always choose the consequences that come to us because of our sin. And we can't always choose the consequences that filter down to those that we love whenever we choose willfully to make those same mistakes over and over and over again. So I encourage you, be very careful not to stay on that same pattern. Let's keep moving here and keep going. As we go to our next slide, once again, I want to talk about this geography, And here's what is happening. If you look very closely at that Baal Zephon there, there is actually an inset, and you can see that there is a wadi right there, and that basically means like a dried riverbed that has kind of like a canyon structure on either side. And so God is leading them and taking them around, and he's actually doing this by a pillar of fire. So they are definitely exactly where God wants them to be. But he takes them through this kind of canyon and they can only go one way because it's too steep on either side and by the way there's a lot of people we'll talk about that in just a moment it's about two million people but as they are traveling through this system they come to a beach called Nuwabi Beach and I'm saying that perfectly exactly right in Egyptian because I'm amazing like that right I mean y'all can y'all give me a little grace I don't have any idea if that's the right way to say it but uh feels pretty good, Nuwabe Beach, and uh, there they are right there on the edge of the eastern side of the Red Sea. And there they find themselves at a beach at an impossible crossing. And God, I have no doubt, has his, has his detractors at this moment. Because they're like, what have you done to us, God? We followed exactly like you wanted us to follow. We followed this cloud so we didn't get confused. There's the cloud. And yet here we are with Egyptians coming up on the backside and nowhere to go on the front. What are we going to do? And why have you brought us here? Now, I'm not saying this is always the truth, but I am saying that sometimes this happens. Sometimes God leads you to a place that is so hemmed in and so tight that you cannot make a different decision. But they are on the precipice, like they're standing literally on the edge of where they're about to have their biggest enemy in their life done with forever. And it's going to happen because of where they are and what they're facing. Y'all with me? Y'all understand what I'm saying? Now, here's what I would say. If you're like me, you found yourself in some of those places where you're like, I thought I was doing the right thing. I thought I was following God, and yet here I am, and now I've got nowhere to avoid this thing that I know I need to face, and I'm scared to death to face it. But we might be on the precipice and on the very edge of total victory If we look to the Lord in this moment instead of blaming him and cursing him and finding our own way to get out of this spot that we feel so claustrophobic in. The truth of the matter is, is that for most of us, we will find ourselves here before we found ourselves here before we will find ourselves here a number of times until we submit to the lesson that God is giving us to break us of that pattern that is the biggest enemy that we cannot overcome.
Now, I think I've probably said enough, and you guys are with me, and if I could get a good amen real quick, I'm keeping moving, all right? Can I hear an amen? You know what I'm talking about. I know what I'm talking about in my own life, and the truth of the matter is, is that we have this option and this opportunity. All right, so very quickly, here is where we start talking about the God who is about to show up in a way that is miraculous and is historic, And I want to talk about this very quickly. In Exodus 11, before the Passover even comes, this is what God tells Moses to tell the people. Tell the people that men and women alike are to ask their neighbors for articles of silver and gold. And the Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people. And Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and by the people. In other words, this group of people that had literally nothing to their name except the houses that they were leaving turned to their neighbors and said, do you by chance have any jewelry that I could have? And they're like, sure. And they'd take it off and they'd hand it to them. And they left not as a poor nation that had nothing, but as a people who had gold and silver and things that were expensive. They, They went from paupers with nothing and bankrupt to people who had something that could not even be measured for its worth overnight. And it all happened because of God. That's amazing, isn't it? I mean, you think about this for a second. And why in the world, you know, why is this important? Why is this important that God's word reminds us that he gave them something that they would need? Can I just be blunt with you? I got no use for people who are super spiritual and don't want to get their hands dirty on stuff. I got no use for that stuff. I got no use for that. You know why? Because there are people that are like, oh, you want to, you want to talk about praying for me? Could you, could you feed me first? Right? Now, I, I'm not saying that every single person that we come in contact with, we need to be feeding per se. I'm just simply saying, if we don't want to get involved in the physical needs of people, then we're missing the point of what God is actually like. Because here, he didn't just say, y'all go be blessed. He said, no, no, y'all are going to need some money. And here's how you're going to get it. You're going to ask for it and people are going to give it to you for no reason whatsoever. And yet it's going to be because of me being a blessing to you. It's going to be my hand that not only takes you out of this place, but gives you something to start a nation with. You guys understand? And so for us, for us, we need to realize that if the God that is that concerned about our physical needs and our spiritual needs as well, We need to be concerned about other people's spiritual and physical needs, but we also need to realize that God is not going to leave us out there to figure it all out on our own. He's going to provide for us what we need. Spoiler alert, manna and quail coming in the next couple of weeks. You guys understand, right? Okay, so if you don't, read, read ahead. Let's keep moving. Let's go to this next slide. Pharaoh had the pattern, as did the Israelites, and the Israelite pattern was to first blame Moses And then complain is that there had been no help that they could rely on from God. What was our big idea again? Rely on God in all your ways. These people literally had something in the pockets of their robes to remind them that God was working on their behalf and working in their situation. All they had to do was to remember and go, oh yeah, God's got me. But they didn't. It's real easy to judge them, isn't it? I mean, it's easy to judge And I know none of y'all have ever been blessed tremendously by God in a situation that didn't look like it could ever be fixed. And then later you were like, and now what am I going to do about this? And it's like, the God who brought you this far didn't bring you just this far for only this far. He's got more planned. We don't know how. We don't know what, but it's going to be there because all you got to do is just remind yourself, oh yeah, I've got a physical reminder of the way that God has been a blessing in my life. You see, all of the Israelites had it right there if they would just look. But here they are. They see the cloud of dirt being kicked up in the desert and that's coming for them. They can't get away. They're stuck and stranded on a beach that they can't get over the water. And so what do they do? They start complaining to Moses and they basically ask him, now what? Right? Let's go to our next slide and we'll read from the... Oh, (laughs) Moses is like, wait, what? (laughs) I mean, don't you already remember that God has brought you? You guys know who this guy is, right? Y'all know who this is? <laughs> He's the progressive guy on insurance com- commercial. No, uh, anyway, keep moving here. What? 
Don't we realize who God is? As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up. There were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified, cried out to the Lord. And they said to Moses, listen to what they said. Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? And then they go on. Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. And Moses answered the people. And this is where we know that God is real. Because Moses controls himself. He says, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance. And the Lord is going to bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still and shut your mouth. It's not actually what he said. That's what he would have said if God weren't real, right? (laughs) But the Lord will fight for you and you only need to be still. God's about to show up in a way that will change your life and change our world forever. Just watch. So... This is what he says. Let's go to our next slide. And I want to notice three things very quickly. This is real. I want to just be very clear. I showed this to you with the, with the map and all that stuff for a very specific reason. There's a whole lot of specificity in where they were. And you can even go and visit the beach, the, the beach that I could not pronounce well, the Nuwabi or something like that beach. You know, you can go there and see that there's room enough for about 2 million people and their cattle and livestock on that beach. It's literally miles in distance. It's long enough for them to camp up next to the cliffs, but also up next to the sea, just like God said he did in Exodus 14. He has this place that has its ruins that you can go and see. It's a real live place where a real live event happened. And so I want to share with you that the real live God who did this back then, I don't imagine that you could go and get a Red Sea crossing if you just show up as a tourist, but I would tell you that it's a real place and that that one day when they needed him the most, God showed up and everything changed. Now hit pause for me for just a second. Have you ever had that happen for you? Where just that one day and that one time God showed up in a way that you really can't explain and you can't manufacture it and you can't even do the formula right, but you just know that God did something that you couldn't do. And in the midst of it all, you realize, you know what? I can rely on him in all my ways and I can remember what he's done for all of my days. For some of you, God has showed up that powerfully I've seen it in some of your lives. I believe that some of you are sitting here today because God intervened in a physical need that brought you to this day that you would not have seen had his hand not been with you. There is stuff that I have seen that literally I can't even go into all of it because there's privacy issues and stuff like that, but I've literally seen miracles happen to people in this church. And now I'm not a guy who's like, that's a miracle. That's a miracle. There's a miracle. Hey, everybody gets a miracle. I'm not like that. That's not me. That's Oprah, but not me, right? But I will tell you that probably sometime, somewhere, some way in your life, God showed up. And he did amazing things that can't be explained by the physical evidence and the physical world we live in. And yet he did it. And when he did, we, his people, ought to be reminded, if he did that for me, then he can handle next month's electric bill. He can handle this situation in my relationship. He can handle this situation in my spiritual life where it just feels like The desert that they were walking through has got nothing on my heart. I mean, I'm that dry and I'm that hard, you know? Like, it just can't be brought back. Well, you never know what God can do and how he will do it. So let's keep moving here very quickly. I'm going to move a lot quicker. The size of the nation, there's about 1.2 to 2 million people. And that's according to Exodus chapter 12, verse 37. So there needs to be some very, very practical things that are figured out. Let's go to this third thing to notice. The crossing and the death of the Egyptians is absolutely vital. Just know that God delivers and he delivers completely. And whenever he delivers his people across the dry ground and then closes up the sea, then those things that are needed are done and God does it in a heartbeat. Let's go to our next slide very quickly. According to archaeological records, the Egyptians didn't visit this area for more than 17 years. 
Obviously, it's a place where something very negative and very significant happened. Isn't that interesting? they like, eh, we're not going back there. <laughs> we already know what happens when we infringe on God's territory. We're not going back. Let's keep moving. In Exodus chapter 14, Moses stretches out his hand over the sea. And all that night, the Lord drove back the sea with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. And the waters were divided. And the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. Can I just point something out to you real quickly? I want you to notice this. Have any of you ever stepped into a place that used to be under a water, like pond or lake or something, but you stepped to the edge as it's kind of dropped down and you stuck your foot in and you just, you know, that sucking sound, you know, like up your leg, you know, you're this deep in it without even really realizing it. Have y'all ever had that happen? I love how God turns up the air, (laughs) just turns up the wind blows the waters back, but also blows the, the top and the crust of, the, uh, of the, the seabed dry. And by the way, real quickly, this is not just a 20-foot deep sea. This is a sea that basically runs about 230 feet in some areas and more. If you don't know how tall that is, that's about 20 stories or more. And so it is a serious sea that God gets them across, but he uses natural causes to do it. And he does it in a way that allows them to walk across on dry land. Can I be real clear with you? If you're sick, go to the doctor. If you're sick, go to the doctor because God uses natural means to heal. But you know what I've also seen? I've also seen when the no way that the doctors could have done it, that God intervenes. But a lot of the time, he just uses people to be a blessing and help us. If you're in need of money, go get a job, right? Why? Why do you do that? Because that's the natural means that God provides most of the time. We don't need to be living from miracle to miracle to miracle to miracle. That's not how God desires or designs his world. But every now and then when we are on the precipice of absolute annihilation, personally, financially, physically, spiritually, whatever it is, God shows up and everything that we tried that didn't work before suddenly works Because suddenly it's got God's fingerprints and God's power behind it. So I think we should live wisely, but also rely on God. And here's what I would say. Whenever I go in for surgery, and I've done that before, I let somebody else do the knife and all that stuff, but I did not think, well, it's up to this guy and whatever he's got is how good I'm going to be. I thought to myself, ultimately, God is using this person to bring healing into my life through his hands. That's what I thought. That ultimately, my health is God's responsibility, not even my doctor's. You guys understand? That's how we rely on God and how we remember God. All right, let's keep moving very quickly. And and I'm, I'm drawing this to a close. There's types of miracles, different types of miracles, miracles of insight, physical healing, provision, natural law, unity, timing, all of these different things. And this is what I would say. Is it that crazy for a wind to blow that hard? I don't necessarily think that it's impossible for that to happen, but I think the miracle happens when the people are basically like at their death's door and then God shows up with a wind that is natural, but yet perfectly timed. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? That ultimately it's not about just simply the natural laws, but it's also about timing. I've heard people say that the walls of Jericho fell because of an earthquake. And I'm like, hey, you can believe that if you choose to. I know the God who causes earthquakes and allows earthquakes to happen. And when he happened to do it at the very specific time that there was an army around that city that he wanted to invade is no surprise. And it's no real thing. It's just a miracle of God's timing with a natural law mixed in. You guys understand what I'm saying? All right. As we keep moving, I want to just share this with you. I said to you guys earlier to rely on God in all your ways and remember him for all of your days. When they go into that wall of Jericho, whenever they're about to enter into the promised land, they have a conversation with a woman named Rahab who later shows up in Jesus's genealogy. She's a prostitute. And so the spies come into her house and are on the roof that night, hidden under a bunch of wheat and various crops and things like that. And she says to them as she is hiding them, as they are spying out the city, she says, 
I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us. In other words, we're the walled city, but we're afraid of you bunch of nomads out there. Why? Why? So that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. In other words, this thing that God does for his people changes their reputation for the rest of their lives. This is how we rely on God all of our, in all of our ways and how we remember and rehearse and say it again and retell it again all of our days. This is how God gets the glory and we become less and he becomes greater. Let's keep moving very quickly. I want to share this with you. These are different types of Red Seas. Physical needs, professional needs, financial needs, relational needs, emotional or spiritual needs. And I could put more on there. I just gave you a quick little idea that God can show up in every single one of these situations. And it may be miraculous and it may be gradual. I don't know. But I do know that these are the things that God has specialized in all of mankind's existence. That God shows up when we need him the most. And I bet there are at least a handful of you that have those types of Red Seas in your situations even today. Here's how you apply this message. You rely, remember, and retell what God has done for you. You rely on his ability to show up when you need him most. You remember what God has done instead of forgetting, saying, well, he should have been left in Egypt. No, 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 no. God has not brought me this far. Oh, yeah, God provided even for my regular needs, not just my spiritual needs. And then we retell what God has done, and we make that our consistent pattern of life. This is how we apply today's message. Here's what happens if you guys don't know the rest of the story. I, I'm sure you've heard it, but the, the east wind blows. The, the, the Israelites are able to walk across that dried riverbed. And as they walk across, they walk towards safety and freedom. And then the Pharaoh and his troops pursue them. And in the midst of that pursuit, they go into that same area. And God says, Moses, take your staff. And as you wiped it back and let that water pile up in a, in a heap, wipe it back the other way and let the water flow. And he does. And all of the Egyptians are swallowed whole by the water and they are never seen or heard from just like God said ever, ever again. And now we have a nation that has been born. It is a brand new nation called Israel and it is God's people. I want to just share a couple of things with you very, very quickly. I want to show a sign to you or a, a, a picture to you real quickly. This guy on the right with the arrow, that's my dad. Now, that's not what my dad looks like today. He's 82 years old now. But this is what he was when he was just about college age. And I talked to my dad yesterday and I asked him about a story that I had heard from him a lot. I'd heard him mention it a lot. And so I wanted to make sure and get it just right. And I said, Dad, do you remember that story about when you had a bill when you were going to Bible college? That's my granddad on the back, and then that's my granny that I loved so much. Um, both of them are gone now. Um, long story, crazy family. I'm um, I I'm, grew up with Warden June Cleaver. They grew up with Jerry Springer. You know what I'm saying? Like it was crazy. It was nuts. Um, my grandfather, he just, we brought the kids back in. So just know that my grandfather was not the best husband ever in the history of the world. And, uh, he had told my dad, I, I would rather see you in a coffin than see you behind a pulpit preaching. And, um, so my dad went off to Bible college without the help of a mother who couldn't hardly feed the three kids that she'd been left with without a dad who cared at all that could have helped him but chose not to. And he had a bill that was a couple hundred dollars, and that was a big amount of money back in the 1960s. So he started praying. He said, I never called a single person. I never called my mom, never called my dad, but I started calling out to God. 
And he said, it was the weirdest thing. He said, I started praying and praying and I had no idea. And I couldn't take my finals until I paid my bill in full. That was just the way that it was supposed to be. He said, so I prayed and prayed and I didn't mention it to a single person. He said, but one day I went out to the mailbox and I found in the mailbox an envelope and I opened up the envelope and there from a church that knew me from Jacksonville, Florida was a check for my bill. And he said, and it was almost to the penny what I needed. And it was an odd amount. It was like $212 and something odd cents or whatever. And he looked in the mailbox and God had answered his prayer. Not a single person had been told about his need, but God alone. Now you can tell me that that's a coincidence if you want. But I don't think it is. I think God showed up when my dad needed him the most. And if you've ever had that happen or something similar like that happen to you, you know. Now, I don't tell this story a lot, but I'm going to tell, tell this story if you'll give me just a couple of minutes. I'm going to shrink it down and shoot it out quick. Can we go to our next slide and then in the next one? This is what a miracle looks like where you're standing. If you don't know the story about this, one day I was here and I was meeting with the group and we were trying our best to raise this property that you're standing on and sitting on from about 90 foot above sea level to about 95 foot and five inches above sea level. That's this floor that you're touching right now is 95 foot and five inches above sea level. I know this because engineers, right? Engineers. So we literally had to raise all of the property that we're sitting on, this five acres. We had to raise it at least a couple or three foot. Now, that may not seem like a lot to you, but if you know how much that means in actual money, it's crazy the amount of money that it costs to raise five acres, two, three, four, and in some areas, five plus foot. We're talking in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. I got a few engineers in the house and they're like, yep, that's true. That's true. Here's what I would share with you. I was standing about 40 foot that way. And a guy comes to me and he says, my friend, what you're getting delivered here today is not good. And I said, what are you talking about? He said, this dirt is no good. I'm like, dirt is dirt is dirt. He grabs it and he squeezes it. And then he crumbles his hand like this, and the dirt just falls out in pieces. He's like, this is not good dirt. You're putting tens of thousands of pounds of weight on this dirt, and this dirt is just going to wash out. So dirt is dirt is dirt to me, and I'm having dirt delivered. He's like, this is not good. I'm standing there. I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. God is my witness. At that moment, Belfort used to not go all the way through. Two trucks that looked just like that pull up and pull down Belfort and stop at the edge of my property, our church property down there at the end. Two guys there. A guy walks over to me and he says, is this the place that we're supposed to deliver the dirt? <laughs> oh my gosh. And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Let's take a look. We ask him to pull up onto our piece of property. He pulls up. He dumps the load of dirt. My friend reaches down. He looks at me and goes, that's it. That's what we need. And I said, where did you get this dirt? Long story short, he says, well, I can bring more. I said, how many more? He goes, I don't know, a couple thousand. And I'm like, well, how much is that going to cost? And he goes, let me get in touch with my boss. So he gets me in touch with the boss. He brings out a piece of paper for me to sign. I'm like, still trying to get a price. The guy says, no, 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 there's no price. All you got to do is just sign that says if there's something, you know, in the dirt that we're not responsible for it. But if you want it, we'll dump it on your land. We'll do it for free. Free dirt, free delivery, the whole thing. 2,000 loads at about 50 or $60, which is about what it was costing at that time, is $120,000. And it pulls up and he says, is this where we deliver the dirt? And I guess God had already said, yeah, this is exactly where you're going to deliver that dirt. 
We go and find out what that is doing and what happened there. It was coming from under sidewalks and foundations that they were removing from a company called Raytech Construction in Houston, Texas. So I guess where I was standing on the precipice of stuff that I didn't know, didn't understand, but was trying to live as God had called me to do, God showed up in a way that I could never have known and I've only scratched the surface of what he did there's more and I'm undershooting it by a long shot and you can tell me that that's coincidence but I'll tell you I don't believe that and I tell you that you will never convince me of the very moment that I'm having a discussion about needing a different kind of dirt that it pulls up and it comes to me for free at that very moment that's God to me, that's God. And so here's what I would say. I don't tell this story all the time, but I tell this story as often as I get a chance. And why? Because I rely on God in all of my ways. And I know that I am less than what I need to be, but he makes up for the things that I cannot do on my own. And I will remember him for all of my days for this miracle and others that I have seen with my very own eyes in this place and in others. But here's what I know. When God is needed most, that's when he shows up and shows out in ways that we can't even fathom or understand. Now, I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know what's brought you here today, or I don't know what you're going through in your own personal life, but here's what I know. The answer is not found in all these other places, but it's truly found in the God who you can rely on, even when all other things have failed. And when it does, do me a favor. Remember and retell what he's done. Heavenly Father, you are God and you are good. And for us, Lord, we need you. And we ask that you would be glorified in our lives in every way possible. That ultimately, God, we would be your children, a living, breathing example of your goodness, your grace, and your ability to show up in amazing ways. And whatever we are facing today, May you, Lord, be glorified, and may you, Lord, change what we cannot, because you alone are able, and you alone are worthy to be praised. In Jesus' name we pray.